And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are back here in the studio. Happy to be here after our uh, break. Good to have everyone here. Welcome to those of you who are new to the program. We're happy you're here as well. Those of you who are coming back, you are welcome as well. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me, and my pronouns are boss, chief, sir. Long weekend for some, but we're glad to be back here in the studio. And what a weekend, what a week it has been, because it has given us plenty to talk about. And sometimes that's not necessarily a good thing, but it is what it is. Uh, We also want to give a shout out to all of you who are listening to this program as a podcast. We're on a number of different podcast players. If you prefer that as your method of consumption. And it's all about consumption, is it not? Consume, 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 consume. Buy our stuff. Buy our products. Watch our shows. Watch our movies. Read our books. Because it is important that we tell you that we like you. All right. So I want to start uh, with a really interesting story. This is in Uproxx. Oh, I guess I better turn that off because I don't want to be interrupted in the middle of the show. I pushed every button correctly except for one. You You always got that one... That one button to push. All right. So this is an article in Uproxx. This just came out yesterday. Mike Redmond writing this article. Headline. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are allegedly at the center of a $2 billion tax fraud scheme. I have a feeling that we'll be talking about this on Monday when our money managers, Matt and Dan, visit us for... Money Madness Monday, that's coming up Monday. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, reading from the article here, have just met their greatest foe yet, taxes. According to a report from the New York Times, Viacom, which owns the rights to the Turtles, along with Transformers and a slew of other intellectual property, is under intense scrutiny after a Dutch nonprofit alleged that the media conglomerate has been going to great lengths to avoid paying the U.S. government billions in taxes by using a convoluted loophole where it attributed revenue from the blockbuster franchises to foreign entities. 
As the Times reported, as the Times explains, a former Viacom employee sued for retaliatory firing after she objected to the practice in 2016, but both parties eventually settled and sealed the terms of the agreement. However, details of the lawsuit have now been made public, which paints a picture of the alleged tax scheme. Now, this is allegations. This is not proof. We are just reporting here what we're seeing in this article. Uh, Quoting from the New York Times, In the suit, the executive accused Viacom of hatching a plan to attribute the revenue from the popular franchise Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the Netherlands for tax advantages. While the rights to the franchise are owned by a Dutch entity, all of the business concerning those rights took place in New York, the suit read. The sole purpose of transferring the licensing rights to the Netherlands company was to avoid the U.S. tax burden, the suit added. The study noted that Viacom transferred its intellectual property rights to a subsidiary in Britain in 2015, while keeping the Dutch entities operating as a sub-branch of the British unit as a jumping-off point for selling foreign rights. The transfer, essentially a sale from one Viacom subsidiary to another, created a tax benefit, the study said. The transaction was worth $1.8 billion, according to company records cited by the study, a sum it can amortize over many years. So here is another PR gaffe for Viacom CBS. Now, we've talked about them before. We've talked about them a number of times about the stock prices dipping low and the problems they've been having with Star Trek. Now it looks as if Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles might be part of that mess? Mix? I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see what plays out there because I am... Uh, I am wondering just what exactly this is going to do to the Viacom CBS stock over the next few days. And we will certainly be taking a look at that on Monday when Dan and Matt are back in to talk about the money side of show business. We do that every first Monday of the month. Matt, uh, Matt Stevens and Dan Danford are here and they will be talking about that, I'm sure. At a real quick program note, tomorrow on the program, Clint Stoker is back. He's going to be talking about volume three of his Downcast series of comic books. It's just getting ready to launch. So he'll be here to talk about that. So we're looking forward to that. Hello, Mazers in the chat. Good to see you. How you feel? Hope you're feeling well. Hope you're recovering uh, quickly and solidly. want you to uh, be at a hundred percent as soon as you're able. So uh, we're we're pulling for you here. Hopefully everything's going well. All right. Speaking of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, most of you who probably pay attention to this stuff know that they were co-created by Kevin Eastman, and Kevin Eastman for a while served as an owner 
of Heavy Metal Magazine under the name Metal Mammoth Incorporated. This was uh, in May of 1992. Eastman took over publishing Heavy Metal from HM Communications, who was the original American entity that published Heavy Metal as essentially a copy of the French magazine Metal Holland. So this, is, uh, this has been an ongoing thing, but recently... Uh, Eastman sold the magazine uh, in 2014 and continued to serve as publisher and a minority investor. It's now Heavy Metal Media LLC. And in 2019, Heavy Metal again changed uh, over CEO Matthew Medney and creative uh, officer David Irwin, formerly of DC Entertainment. Those were the guys running in charge. Now, however... The new editor-in-chief, as of issue 298, is Tim Seeley, formerly of DC Comics. Before that, it was Grant Morrison, also formerly of DC Comics, and I don't know if he's still writing over there or not. And, of course, we've got the films that were there, and, and the movie, the first movie that came out, uh, gave us a character named Turna who uh, f- was featured in a was featured in a uh, one of the shorts in the original heavy metal magazine and appears to be based on another story uh, and it was a gender flipped iteration for the movie and Tarna has become a very popular character almost a mascot at this point for heavy metal and They've got this new comic book, a Tarna comic book, five issue miniseries, where they've, you know, they've got Tarna in her iconic outfit most of the time, the bikini that everybody knows. And in the fifth issue, it appears that she's going to be changing her outfit. Now, let me show you this. Those of you who are listening to this as a podcast uh, you'll have to imagine so instead of the bikini we've got full body armor and we've got this cover here uh from from heavy metal it was debuted on social media uh this was posted about a week ago and the reaction to the outfit was mixed naturally some people wondering why are you changing her iconic look some people looking at this saying, well, she, you, you kind of made her look like Captain Marvel in this, the, the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel, which might or might not be a good thing. You give her full body armor, but she's not wearing a helmet. I mean, various different re- reactions to this. And a lot of, you know, there were positive comments too. Oh, this really looks really cool. However, for those who were concerned asking questions heavy metal decided to insult their fans calling people names saying they need to grow up hey you know what adults can change their clothes maybe you should too and while you're at it get some uh, get some deodorant change your underwear every now and then this is this is 
apparently, and Perch did a really good analysis of this, and uh, we've linked to his video in our in our show notes. Perch's theory is that heavy metal was trying to be edgy like Wendy's. Wendy's has pretty much a lock on the sarcastic, irreverent response plan on their social media. And you've got to be able to do it properly. You've got to be able to be correct in how you approach that. And I think heavy metal might have missed the mark just a little bit because it is not the fact now. I mean, initially, some people were expressing some concern over the change of the outfit. And as Perch points out, and as a number of people point out, that's not the only thing that she's wearing in that particular issue of the comic book. In fact, there are some places where she's not wearing anything at all, very much in the tradition of heavy metal, which is the, the rated R comics that you would expect that a lot of people have grown to know and love. So there is that. But you wouldn't know it from the responses that heavy metal gave. You have other people sitting there going, hey, wait, you know, there's other places in the book where she's not wearing anything at all. It's the it's same, same kind of thing as what we always see in heavy metal. But heavy metal wasn't saying this. Instead, heavy metal was saying, you know, somebody says here, the changes suck, respect your fans. Heavy metal says, no, we don't want fans like that. We are good. Thank you. Not quite exactly the right kind of response. Here's another post here. Uh, quote, it, is, it has come to our attention that some of you are confused that Tarna has the ability to change clothes. So to address this, we'd like to remind you that you too can change clothes and to please do so, especially your underwear. We've gotten complaints from the neighbors. And, it, and that last comment there about complaints from the neighbors would seem to to be in line with Perch's theory that they're trying to do a Wendy's here. But it's a new approach. They haven't done this kind of thing in their social media before. So there's no history here. There's no foundation here for them to be doing the snarky, sarcastic thing like Wendy's has been doing for years about everything. Wendy's has a track record for this that heavy metal does not. And here's one here. Uh, I'm torn. While I generally despise bikini armor as a whole, I also have a pretty severe disdain for the complete changing of iconic characters and looks. At what point does it become an entirely different character? And where exactly is the ridiculous line for scantily clad heroines? reasonable question to which heavy metal responds have you read the book to understand the context of the outfit or are you just making assumptions trust us read it and you'll understand also people should change clothes and looks that's natural half a loaf because they're they're not really they, they need a little bit more practice on this. If this is if this is their attempt to do Wendy's edgy, 
they're not quite doing it. But, but, at the same time, they're getting called out for the snarky, sarcastic, insulting behavior of their social media person. Then it becomes not about Tarna. It doesn't become about the character and her costume change. It becomes about how heavy metal is treating the people who are expressing concern and asking questions. And, hey, why are you doing this? What's the reasoning behind it? Here's one here. The new people running heavy metal must really hate their fans. Why do you hate us? And I don't know what the context is for that particular question, whether they've seen the behavior of heavy metal already. They probably have. Heavy metal responds, think about your question realistically. You are an adult, we assume. Would it make sense for a company that works so hard to create and bring new art to hate its fans? Or are you just uncomfortable with change and growth? Do you hate us because we've grown out of the box and your comfort level? Sit with that. We love our fans, but they can either grow up with us or stay behind clinging to an idealized past. Not the greatest of responses. If you're going to be sitting there telling your fans to grow up, you've kind of missed the mark. This is the kind of thing that we've been talking about in a number of, of situations. When you insult your fans, when you insult your potential customers, there is a consequence. And a lot of that is people sitting there going, you know, hey, I don't like the way you're talking about talking to me. I don't I don't particularly care about how you're responding to me or to other people. I don't like your attitude. I'm not going to buy your product anymore. Which we've seen now with regard to DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who. Why? When you've seen how people respond to this kind of behavior, why would you lean into this kind of behavior? I don't care what it is. And it doesn't matter if you're left-leaning or right-leaning. If people express concern about what you're doing with something they buy, then you need to address those concerns in a way that doesn't tick them off and tell them, go somewhere else. If you don't like my politics, don't buy my book, as Kelly Sue DeConnick says. And as Perch has pointed out, heavy metal does not have a very big sales base, customer base to begin with. It's not like they can sit there and afford to bleed off a certain percentage of their market. And as other people have pointed out, heavy metal used to be the counterculture. Heavy metal used to be the edgy, stick-it-to-the-man type of magazine. 
And this kind of behavior puts them in the camp with everybody else saying, oh, it's you guys. It's all of you responding. Which is not really the smart way to go. Uh, and yes, Mazers, this is uh, I, I, this is the same heavy metal IP from all those years ago. Heavy metal magazine, heavy metal comics, heavy metal um, the movies. Um, yeah, see how far we've come. This is called progress, right? Yeah, Sci-Fi Snob says uh, heavy metal was always a niche product. It is. And same kind of thing with something like comic books. There, there is a niche audience for it. We, anything science fiction, fantasy, horror has a niche audience because you're not going to appeal to the mainstream uh, population with a lot of this. Some of it probably more than others. But not everything. Star Wars transcends the niche. Star Trek kind of does, but not as much. Star Wars is just everywhere except China. And you have this universal appeal because Star Wars is not seen. Star Wars is space fantasy. It's not necessarily seen by everybody as science fiction. It's a fairy tale. It's mythology. And so it, it transcends the niche. But you look at something like the Marvel movies, for example, and you have a number of people who go to see the Marvel movies, and they love the Marvel movies, and those Marvel movies are wonderful. And they watch the, the, the TV shows on Disney+, and they love their Marvel Cinematic Universe. But they don't read the comics. And we've talked about this on the H2O podcast. I did it again! I think I'm just going to have to officially change the name of the show to the H2O Project because I can't, I can't stop myself from saying the H2O Project. I don't know why. Why is that? Why am I saying project all the time? I don't know why. The H2O Podcast, <clears throat> Mr. Harvey and I have talked about the fact that uh, the audience for Marvel Comics is much, much smaller than the audience for the Marvel movies. See, even with the distraction, I didn't lose my place. <laughs> Professional! That's, that's me. So the idea here that, that fans have a concern about a thing, and the people what making the thing, instead of saying, hold up, just stick with us, It'll, it, you'll get it in the end, you'll see, you'll, you'll see what we're trying to do. Instead, they sit there and go, why don't you try changing your clothes every now and again? Why don't you grow up like we have? Now, some people, and, and, and heavy metal has uh, rightly made the point that there are some people that are probably reacting to this who haven't read those comics and don't know the storyline, and they're just knee-jerk reaction, and, and that's possible. 
And we see that same kind of thing with the Sandman casting. I was guilty of that myself, I will admit, when I saw that they had Jenna Coleman coming in as a Constantine. My first thought, because I haven't read the book yet, is that they've gender-swapped John Constantine. Turns out that's not the case. They've got her playing an ancestor of John Constantine, but they have kind of sort of gender-swapped because the ancestor is now in the place of Constantine in terms of what he does, his function, his purpose in the story. So not really gender-swapped, but replaced, if that makes sense. Yeah, Mazur says, I was guilty of this in the revelation that I liked Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, the director's cut, but I respect comic readers' opinions and listen carefully as to why they don't like the film. Uh Sab says, H2O Project sounds cooler. <laughs> well, I, I'm all for being as cool as possible. I don't know, maybe, maybe when we get to a milestone episode, well, we're coming up on 300. Maybe at 300 we switch and start calling it the H2O project. I don't know. I I don't know why I'm I'm my my mouth keeps wanting to say that word. It's very 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 strange because this is a recent development. We've been doing the H2O podcast for 8 plus years. And I've never had trouble saying the name of the show until the last 2 or 3 months. I don't I don't I don't know why that is the case. All right, so uh, leaning over into the Sandman stuff, the, ca the, the casting news, a few weeks ago, DC Comics posted over here the Sandman casting news for the main cast, the first, the first set of cast members that were announced. This was back, oh, this was in January of 2021 on their blog and various other places. They made the announcement of the leads. You have Tom Sturridge's Dream, Lord of the Dreaming, you have uh, Vivian uh, Akampong as Lucien, Librarian of the Dreaming. And I do believe that this is not only a race uh, gender swap, but also a race swap, because I think Luce, Lucien is a redhead. I'm not sure. Uh, I think I saw a note about that at some point. Charles Dance is Roderick Burgess, charlatan and magician. Uh, Sanjeev Baskar is Kane, the first predator. Asim Chaudhry is Abel, the first victim. Boyd Holbrook is the Corinthian, an escaped nightmare. And Gwendolyn Christie is Lucifer, ruler of hell. Now, you'll notice that Lucifer has been gender bent. Okay. Not a whole lot of reaction. There was some discussion about Gwendolyn Christie playing Lucifer, but everybody was like, well, you know, it's Lucifer. Lucifer could take on different forms. I mean, Lucifer has been a snake. So there wasn't really a lot. There was a little bit of chatter. There was not a whole lot of blowing up on social media over all of this. It helps that Gwendolyn Christie is a, is a decent actress. But you have these, these little cards that show the character and a little bit of a description about the character. Dream, Lord of the Dreaming. Okay, we've got a little, a little description here. And then, May 25th, 
we have the next round of casting news. This is also DC Comics making this and everybody else having all of these different things. And now we have <clears throat> a change. It's a subtle change, but a lot of people noticed where you have each performer listed as the character like before, only now we have pronouns. Okay, if that's how you're going to go. But now you have people that are saying, why is that necessary? Why are you going to do that? And there's some concern about the politics involved over the casting of Netflix's adaptation of Sandman. And you also have people saying that Kirby Howell Baptiste as death kind of goes against the grain for what we know of death's look in the comics. And a lot of the a lot of the um, the endless are white, but they're not Caucasian white. They're sheet white, absence of color white. And okay, fine, death can take on different forms. And we see in the comic books those characters assume different forms, they're shapeshifters. Okay, but the, the default for the reader has been a particular look for a long time. And let me see if I can pull this this character up here. So you can see here, this is death. This is, uh, this is the representation. Now, Neil Gaiman sa has said that the, that the, the design for death uh, didn't come from him. It came from the artist, and, and you have uh, sort of a goth, punk rock chick as death. But you see how pale she is. Not just not just white, but but white. White, white, white. Which doesn't really speak to an ethnicity. And a lot of people are saying, well maybe this is a maybe this is just a, a reflection of the times because when death gets uh, when dream gets captured, he's not going to be coming into the eighties like he's in the comic books. He's going to be coming out into the modern era. So some of these characters can probably be a different uh, a different version, a different uh, physicality, a different personification. Okay, fine. But you've got 30 years of history here. And this is... This is one of those things where, again, we get back into the question of how faithful to the source material do you need to be in order to, one satisfy fans who have expectations to satisfy the needs of the story in the adaptation and adaptations are always going to be a little bit different because it's a different medium you have different you have different goals there are different objectives but now you have this question that doesn't necessarily need to be a question and 
Neil Gaiman comes out and basically says, oh, hey, here are all these people who have a problem with pronouns. This must be comics gay. I thought they were extinct. And now he makes it into a thing. Now, look, as, as far as pronouns go, fine, whatever. You want to you wanna do your pronouns, okay, fine. DC Comics wants to come out and announce pronouns for all of the performers who are playing these characters. That's fine. It's June. It's Pride Month. I get it. The corporate the, the corporate pandering begins this week. Five to seven percent of the U.S. population is not heterosexual. And so let's give them rainbow logos, except in those countries where homosexuals are killed because it's illegal. We won't change our logos there. But we'll change them in the U.S. because why not? At best, the corporate packaging, the corporate pandering is simply pandering to the flavor of the month. You know, your Black History Month, your Black Lives Matter, anytime there's white text on a black... Screen, uh, black background, you know, there's all these issues and we stand with fill in the blank. At best, it's pandering. At worst, it's propagandizing. You look at the, you know, the recent discussion now about uh, Kellogg's cereal doing a, doing a pride, a pride thing. Is it pandering? Is it propaganda? Are we trying to normalize behavior that is, not considered normal by some. So people are understandably concerned when they see this, you know, use of pronouns in the marketing because is, as history has shown us, when you start going down that path, it is indicative of identity politics having an influence over the entertainment medium. It's identity politics influencing, some would say infecting, the product that you are creating in order to try to sell it to a mass audience. Because Netflix is not going to try to sell Sandman as a TV series just to Sandman fans and readers of the comic book. Because like we've seen with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, those are two separate audiences. Your comic book readers and your moviegoers are not one and the same. There may be some crossover, but you don't have millions of people reading the comic books, especially given the fact that the comic books don't look like the, the, the movies and vice versa. Iron Man comes out. People want to go buy an Iron Man comic book and they see Riri Williams. Who's this? This is not Tony Stark. I just saw a movie with Tony Stark as Iron Man. I want Tony Stark Iron Man. I want to read that comic book. Where is it? And you're going to run into the same kind of thing with Thor Love and Thunder. People are going to go back there and they're going to, they're going to pick up back issues of Thor and it's not going to be Thor. But the audiences are not the same. And the audience for the Netflix Sandman series has to be bigger than the number of people who have read the comic book. 
Otherwise, you don't make money. You have to broaden the appeal, which is probably what they're doing when, you know, with some of the casting. Okay, fine, diversity points. Cool, whatever. You do you. But the reaction, the people are starting to ask these questions. Well, wait a minute. How, why, why do this? Why is this not this, not that? Why do you zig instead of zag? And Gaiman could have sat there and said, just watch it, just trust us. And he essentially has done some of that by basically saying, I've fought 30 years of bad adaptations in order to get to this moment. And he does say, this is the one that is more faithful to the book. And he does say, give it a try. Let it play out. Watch it. But he also takes it upon himself to insult people who have expressed concerns. First of all, trying to smear them with this blanket, oh, it's Comicsgate. Like Comicsgate is a pejorative of some reason. You know who Comicsgate is? Comicsgate is a consumer movement of people who are sick and tired of political agendas driving the narratives of various different stories in comics. They're black, they're white, they're, they're uh, brown, Hispanic, Asian, homosexuals, heterosexuals, people with hair, people with no hair. There is a huge mix of types in Comicsgate. <clears throat> and all of them have one thing in common. They are sick and tired of political agendas driving the stories in comics. They're not saying that politics cannot be in comics. Some might say that. But by and large, the majority of them are sitting there saying, tell us a good story and use good art. Give us good art and good stories that entertain us. And if you've got some kind of a message in the subtext, that's fine. If you've got a character who is overly political, that's fine, as long as it serves the story. And that's where people are dropping the ball in terms of the comics movement, the, the comics industry. That's why you see the top 20 adult graphic novels are all manga. sci-fi snob if you want to broaden the appeal you need to put more appealing broads in it yeah that, that could work too and Tarna is an appealing broad but the the reaction here to fans and, and I ran across this I ran across this blog Rocky uh, Rocky Top Otaku I'm not sure who this is I'm just I'm just now coming across this uh, this site. Uh, the headline, Memento Mori. One worried fan's response to Neil Gaiman regarding the Sandman's death. Now, this is specifically about the casting of death. But, it at the end of this, it raises an interesting question. 
And it's a question for Neil Gaiman, but Neil Gaiman actually answers this question himself as well. I'll get to that in a minute. So he's talking about whoever whoever this Rocky Top Otaku is is talking about the casting. And okay, fine. Some of these choices are excellent. Some of these choices, yeah, we'll see how it works out. And you have Kirby Howell Baptiste's death. Okay, fine. Um, <clears throat> here is here is a little bit of context for those who have not read the story. And you have a description of who death is in terms of the relationship to Dream, the main character, the rest of the endless. You have destiny, death, dream, destruction, desire, despair, and delirium. They're, they're siblings, part of the endless. They are, they are not humans. They're not aliens. Uh, but they're, they're, they, they change their appearance based on who is perceiving them. But for the most part, they stay the same look throughout the books in order for the readers to be able to keep up with who's who. And you go through here, and, and Rocky Top Otaku points out, on the one hand, I'm reading from the article here, in the strictest sense, this TV series is not the comics. It is, moreover, completely within the realm of possibility and in-story logic for Death to take any form she pleases. If in this version of the story her default appearance is a young black woman, whether with the same or a different fashion sense, there's nothing stopping her as long as her morbid aesthetic is preferred. On the other hand, this TV series is nevertheless an adaptation of a pre-existing property, and fans of the original story expect fidelity to the source material, possibly including the visual presentation of beloved characters. It is still perfectly possible for young white women to evoke the same persona that Death did in the story set 30 years ago, so it's not strictly necessary for her to change her appearance to adapt to the current year. She was originally a white goth chick, and fans are most familiar with her as such. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And there's the rub. It both is and isn't about skin color. And goes on to a, a, an interesting examination of when you perceive someone, when you first come across people, when you meet them, all of the different characteristics that come into who that person is, skin color is part of it. You look at someone and say, oh, this is, you know, I'm, you're not going to immediately sit there and go, oh, I'm meeting a black person. I'm meeting a, a, a Hispanic. But you identify visually. You can see hair color, eye color, height, weight, gender, mostly. Skin color is one of that. It, it, the, these are identifying physical characteristics that are determined by genetics and whatever you do to alter your appearance, you know, you color your hair, you put in contacts or whatever. And then you have Neil Gaiman's responses. Now, he starts off here, if you think the Endless have any specific human race or form, you've missed something in Sandman. Don't worry, watch the show. And that's fine. That's a, that's a decent enough response. He's, hang on. 
before you overreact, before you blow a gasket, watch the show. It'll be okay. And if he had kept that as his response or something similar to that, it would have been fine. But he doesn't. And he goes on to insult and talk down to people who are expressing concern. And I think I think this is and, and you look at the heavy metal response, you look at Gaiman's response. And the question now becomes, is this the best way to handle people who are expressing concern about your product? I mean, if in a, in a in an ideal situation, perhaps, and, and this comes from my doing this for 30 years. I've been in media since 1988. Th- almost 33 years now. And in marketing, there are certain aspects of appealing to an audience that does not include insulting them. Now, in these scenarios, when you have people that sit there and go, oh, I just I just don't know. This doesn't look like the book that I've been reading for 30 years. This doesn't look like the movie that I was expecting. This doesn't look like what I was thinking I was going to get. What you can do and what some of these people should do is, you know, you acknowledge, I get it. You're passionate fans. You guys have the, you know, you're fully invested in this. You've been fans for years. You've been fans for days, whatever. You're heavily invested in these characters and these stories. We get it. We are too. We are fans as well. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we deliver the best stories that we can tell with these characters. We have to show respect to these characters. And then you sit there and say... Stick with it. Stick with it till the end. It'll all play out, and then you'll see what we're doing. But they don't do that. They'll call you man babies. They'll call you racists. They'll call you sexists. They'll call you bigots. They'll call you homophobes, transphobes, Nazis, alt-right. They have plenty of names to call you. And they'll suggest that you change your clothes and put on deodorant, change your underwear, and get out of your mom's basement. Maybe find a girl, boyfriend, whatever. Insulting your potential market, insulting your potential customers, insulting your existing customers is never a good play. It's just not. Because as much as you as a creator are fully invested in that thing which you create, whether it's inherently originally yours 
or if you have a responsibility that's been handed to you as the current creative team, and that goes for comics, it goes for television shows, it goes for movies, it goes for video games, board games, card games, whatever. If you've inherited the responsibility from somebody else, if you are just now the caretakers of the franchise, the product line, the brand, whether it's Hasbro or Chess, as the caretaker of the brand, you can sit there and say, we get it. We understand you're a passionate fan. We're passionate fans too. This is how, just just let let us show you what we're going to do with this. Give us a little trust and we'll give you something we hope you like. But that's not how they react. That's not how they do things. And the question in this Memento Mori blog, there is a question here asked of Neil Gaiman and Netflix. So whether or not this is actually a play for publicity. Now, I don't know if that's the case over on, net, uh, on, on the heavy metal side of things, if anybody is talking about that. But, you know, that's whole, the whole af- aphorism that, uh, you know, bad news is also good news. You know, there's no such thing as bad PR, bad publicity. I have to wonder if they're leaning into this a little bit because there's all sorts of articles now talking about Neil Gaiman fighting toxic backlash. Here it is in IndieWire. Here it is in Yahoo. The Sandman creator Neil Gaiman defends casting non-binary actor to play non-binary character. Neil Gaiman responds to Sandman casting backlash by confronting toxic fans on Twitter. So you see how this is all set up and all being presented as Neil Gaiman coming to the defense of his story against toxic fans. Neil Gaiman stands up to critics after casting black and non-binary artists in Netflix's Sandman. And the question here now is, why would you do this? Why would this be your approach? Because Neil Gaiman himself has talked about this. Here's a question here. This is an article from Forbes talking about how DC Films doesn't know what to, to, to do with Superman. This is from December of 2019. Because Forbes is talking about DC trying to figure out how to make Superman relevant. And Neil Gaiman says, you don't make it relevant, you make it inspiring. Which is something that the fans have been saying from the get-go. There is a certain way to approach Superman. And you have here, you know, back when the watch 
was in development. You have Rihanna Pratchett expressing some concerns. She says, look, I think it's fairly obvious that the watch shares no DNA with my father's watch. This is neither criticism nor support. It is what it is. And this is something we've talked about on H2O because Tim has expressed a little bit of concern about the watch not exactly being the watch. And he's willing to, 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 to look at it and watch it and, okay, fine. But it's obvious it's not going to be the exact same thing as what's in Terry Pratchett's material. And you've got a response here. The source material is fertile grounds for new exploration and justifying the cost of making good film is easier when there's a fan base for source material. To which Neil Gaiman responds over concerns that the watch is not going to be faithful to the story material. Remember that being the setup here. We don't, we have a concern that this adaptation is not going to be faithful to the source material. Something that people are saying now about Sandman. And Neil Gaiman responds, the fan base are fans and they like the source material because it's the source material they like. So if you do something else, you risk alienating the fans on a monumental scale. It's not Batman if he's now a news reporter in a yellow trench coat with a pet bat. That's Neil Gaiman. In October of 2020. And now you have Neil Gaiman in May of 2021 on the opposite side of this. Why? Is it now something that he's taking an opposite side, an opposite stance, because now it's his property that's involved? Is it because Netflix has put a bunch of money into the Sandman adaptation? Has Neil Gaiman been bought? Those are the, some of the questions that people are asking. Is Neil Gaiman a sellout to Netflix? Well, that's a question that people can ask. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I don't care. But when you, as the creator of a thing, whatever that widget is, if somebody has been buying your widget for 30 years, if somebody has been enjoying your widget for generations now, and you sit there and say, you know what, we're going to change the widget and people go, wait, 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 wait. Why are you changing the widget? The first thing you should not do is say, we're changing the widget and you're stupid for questioning us. You don't do that. Sci-Fi Snob makes a good point. It's a well-known fact. The more you talk down and insult people, the more they like you. <laughs> Mazer, sell out to his yes people maybe who may or may not be behind the machinery in Netflix. Maybe. I don't know. And I'm not saying that Gaiman has sold out. I don't know. I'm just saying that people are asking that question. And I think rightly so. I think they are justified in asking that question because Gaiman appears to have changed his stance on fidelity to the source material. 
I mean, he makes a very good point here. You risk alienating the fans on a monumental scale. Not just a little bit. Not just a little bit. And you also have to, to remember that you have this, this built-in audience of a thing, whether it's Star Wars fans or Star Trek fans or Marvel Comics readers or DC Comics readers or whatnot, and those people have the potential to be your brand ambassadors. Oh, this is so cool. I read this book called Sandman by Neil Gaiman. I read this book. It's a very good book. It's an excellent story. You should read this. And oh, hey, look, Netflix is making an, a, a, they're making a show out of this book. You have the potential to turn the people in your audience into your salespeople, into your brand ambassadors, people who will be your advocate for your product. We have a few people like that here. Mazerus, who's in the chat, frequently shares links to our videos and says, hey, look at this. Mazerus is a brand ambassador, and we appreciate his sharing our content, our product, to the people in his social media sphere. That's what you do. You give somebody a reason to share that thing they like. Hey, I like this book. I read this book. I like this TV show. I like this movie. You should look at it too. <laughs> Ambassadors. Ambassadors, Mazarus. That'll work. But it's that kind of thing. You don't want, and, and this goes back to the whole word of mouth the potential of word of mouth because statistics show and common knowledge is that for every negative comment about a thing, you need to have five to ten positive comments to overcome that one negative thing. Bad news travels around the world before good news has a chance to get their shoes tied. The, 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 the perception and, the, and the, the, the common knowledge, common... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm losing my words here. The common thought is bad news travels faster. I've even made the joke here. Bad news is, is the one thing that travels faster than coffee. Negative comments will hurt your brand. It's not a question of any PR is good PR. Any, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I would respectfully disagree. Bad publicity will hurt your potential marketplace, your potential market share, your potential sales revenues. And when you get down to it, whether it's a Netflix TV show or 
an HBO Max series or a Disney Plus series or an action figure or a comic book or a DVD or a music CD or, or a concert or whatever, at the very, very, very last bottom line, the object is to make money. Both to cover your expenses for making the thing and to have money left over, we call it profit, so that then you can make more of the thing or buy a vacation home or whatever. But the idea is to make money. It is a business. Social media does harm to business. And we're going to see over and over and over again, example after example after example, because we already have example after example after example of people taking to social media to insult and degrade the potential customer base. And it never goes well. And for those of you who are creators, whether you're independent creators or if you're corporate contract creators, you would do well to remember, respect your market. Respect your market. Respect your customers. Even the ones who complain because... In those complaints, there could be a nugget of useful truth. Maybe not always. But there is the potential of learning something constructive from the people who complain about what you do. Don't blow them off. Don't insult them. So we'll see. We'll see what comes of this in terms of ratings for the Netflix series, actual performance versus expectations. And we won't know exact numbers. We won't know how well the show does because Netflix and the other streaming services don't release that kind of data. We'll get hints. We'll get clues. But we'll see how it plays out. I don't know. Just one more step on the slippery slope to oblivion, right? All right, that's going to do it for us today. Don't forget, tomorrow on the program, Clint Stoker is here to talk about Downcast 3. And then we are back to our regular schedule. We've got Good Morning Multiverse coming up on Saturday and I do believe this is the week for new TARDIS sauce, uh, talking about Doctor Who. And then we will have a new H2O Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. We do hope you join us for all of those. And in the meantime, feel free to check out any of the rest of the videos here. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe. 
have the notifications turned on. And feel free to share. We used to say here, I used to say here, in you know, share us with your friends, inflict us on your enemies. Uh, we do appreciate all of you who support us, who keep coming back. We're glad you keep coming back. We, uh, we will continue to make efforts to deliver something that satisfies you, whether it's, uh, whether it's a talk show or a news show. So uh, hopefully you keep coming back and bring your friends. That's going to do it for us today. Remember, there are four lights. We'll be back. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 